Our podcast episode published November 19th mistakenly identified a private school promoted by the Arkansas Department of Education as the Covenant Christian Academy. In fact, the name of the school is Cornerstone Christian Academy. We regret the error. I'm Amaya Jones, and this is the Arkansas Times Week in Review podcast for Friday, December 1st. This week, we're talking about two proposed constitutional amendments. One aims to largely restore abortion rights in Arkansas, which were all but eliminated by the so-called trigger law last year after the U.S. Supreme Court struck down Roe v. Wade. The other would enshrine the Arkansas Freedom of Information Act in the state constitution. We'll also be discussing our big news of the week, which is out of Fayetteville with Arkansas Times writer Rhett Brinkley. First up, Rhett and I debriefed the recently concluded Arkansas Razorback football season and discussed the hiring, the return of Bobby Petrino. Okay, the Arkansas Razorbacks concluded their tumultuous 2023 football season on Thanksgiving weekend with a 48-14 blowout loss to Missouri in the annual battle line rivalry game. What went wrong this year? Well, pretty much everything. We um, The Razorbacks lost to BYU at home. They were only able to win one SEC game. They were blown out at home by both Auburn and Missouri. Offense was terrible in October. Uh, Sam Pittman fired offensive coordinator Dan Eos, who came on this year. And really not, not much went right for the Hogs. There were also several injuries. I mean, it's, it's kind of tricky for me as somebody that does not watch college football, and I don't know if I should broadcast that fact because, uh, like, I do not watch the Razorbacks. Yeah, I mean, I mean, for me, like my experience, and and I'm there's there's always this hope among Razorback fans that just seems really unrealistic, and I feel like there's just always these unrealistic expectations for what to expect from a season or and from the program. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know why that is. Uh, <laughs> I I've suffered from it, you know, and you know, you read you read articles by this Arkansas sports media, and that, you know. They highlight the, the players coming in, um, you know, and but several of these seasons in the past decade have just been a disaster. And with, with Sam Pittman, you know, he was he was an offensive line coach at Georgia. OK. And he also has coached at Arkansas in the past. A lot of people thought that Pittman's career so far here at Arkansas has kind of paralleled Bielema's record because they both kind of started out pretty hot. Um, I think Pittman had. Pittman won nine games his second year, and then that dropped off to seven and now four. And Bielema had a similar drop. With sports, there's like always prognosticators who have like explanations for like why that is. Is it just recruiting? Is it coaching? Like what is the main critique? That's a good question. And I think it's it's all of those things tying in together. Uh, this year, there were a lot of um, – blatant coaching errors on the field. They were pointed out by announcers watching the game and, and media afterwards. Uh, we were in position to kick a field goal, and I think Pittman was struggling to decide whether to punt or kick the field goal, and we suffered a delay of game penalty because he didn't make a decision, and that backed us up out of field goal range. And our kicker, Cam Little, likely would have made it um he's been he was probably the the most uh consistent player on the team this year you know following the the blowout loss to missouri 48 to 12 um on, on thanksgiving weekend uh you know that game we were kj jefferson was hurt early 
but their Missouri's running back put up over 200 yards on Arkansas's defense. Um, and at the that there's no excuse for that. And at the press conference after the game, Trey Biddy of Hogsports.com asked Pittman how he expected to carry momentum into the offseason after a performance like that, and Pittman responded, "I don't know," and then called on another reporter. And uh, you know now that momentum appears to have shifted with Petrino hire. And so the the recent news is that the rehiring of Bobby Petrino. Yes. And I would say like broadly, like the reaction that I've seen has been pretty positive, which I think is sort of strange. Yeah. I expected the fan base to be divided about the decision, at least, especially considering how much the program has suffered since the days following his motorcycle crash on April fool's day of 2012. We we've had a couple good seasons here and there, but like we haven't, we've had one winning sec record in, in the years since he's been since he's been gone um this year we, you know we won one sec game and uh we've only been above 500 in sec play once since then and are 24 and 74 in the conference since 2012 um and some fans could rightly blame him for that um and maybe hold a grudge you know it's certainly not his fault that we've been bad this long uh but uh you know his record since he left Arkansas hasn't exactly been stellar either, but, you know, fans on Twitter, formerly X, and last night at the Arkansas versus Duke game at Bud Walton Arena, there was Bobby, Bobby, Bobby chants um, that broke out. So it looks like the majority of uh, fans are on board. Um, in the days after the Missouri loss and the weeks prior, many people were suggesting that Sam Pittman be fired, you know, and there are questions about whether he could even be rehired, right? Like, how did that process play out? Many people didn't think it would be possible because of a UA board policy that was drafted in 2013 that would prevent the university from rehiring an employee that was fired for cause. Uh, any exception to the policy would have to be approved by the university system president. And uh, on Monday of this week, uh, University of Arkansas Chancellor Charles Robinson reached out to University of Arkansas system president. Donald Bobbitt requesting a workaround. And on Tuesday, Bobbitt signed off on the hire, noting that he appreciated the diligence of uh, Razorback coach Sam Pittman and athletic director Hunter Urichek. Um I don't know. The whole thing just seems sort of ridiculous to me, but maybe um, – I, mean, I, I guess, like, the, the one other thing that I would want to know is, like, what is the perception of his last season? Like, he was at A&M last year, right? And Yeah, you know – I mean, there were, he had three different quarterbacks. It's kind of hard to say how he would have done had not had their starting quarterback not been injured, knocked out, of, uh, you know, out for the year. But you know, his record hasn't been stellar. Uh, he, you know, he he did do um, like Lamar Jackson, who's now an NFL quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens. He coached him at Louisville, and Lamar Jackson, I think, won a Heisman, had a lot of success there, but. But, you know, he lost a lot of games, too. Uh, and also, he's just a natural did. athlete. Like, Lamar Jackson's like natural athlete. He probably would have done well whoever he was coached. Yeah, perhaps, yeah. And, uh, you know, Petrino's always, you know, for the most part, had a really good offense. But he's had a lot of terrible defenses. Okay. Um, you know, Pittman was kind of on the hot seat. And then he fired, fired Dan Enos. And then we immediately won. Uh, in Florida, our only SEC games. People thought we'd ride the ship. 
And then we got our asses kicked like the next week, you know, and then again. And um, so he was kind of back on the hot seat. I think it's what it, what's interesting now is like the the, um, the the conversation has like completely shifted. Nobody's really talking about Pittman anymore. It's kind of a brilliant move. Strategic. It is actually, you know what? It is a brilliant move because it's like if you're in the hot seat, just do something that causes a bigger distraction than whatever it is you're doing, you know? like Yeah. Yeah, they yeah. successfully changed the conversation, you know, for better or worse. Yeah. So will everybody be fired next year? Uh, yeah. It, well, you know, some people, I think, assume that Petrino will eventually become the head coach. We'll see how that goes. The contract runs from December 3rd, 2023 to February 28th, 2026. His salary for the first few months on the job is 350000 then 500000 annually beginning in March. And he'll pull in... One million in other compensation for his first full year back, and one point one million the following year. Next, managing editor Benjamin Hardy and editor in chief Austin Bailey discuss the new ballot initiative that would restore abortion rights to Arkansas, which were eliminated previously by a so-called trigger law last year after the U.S. Supreme Court struck down Roe v. Wade. So news broke this week that uh, a group called Arkansans for Limited Government filed a proposed constitutional amendment with the Attorney General, Tim Griffin. The proposal was actually filed a while back in November 9th, but the news just sort of came out this week that that it had been filed, and then Griffin, to nobody's surprise, really rejected it later in the week. So uh, first, Austin, can you just remind us of the state of play with regards to abortion in Arkansas ever since the fall of Roe v. Wade in 2022? Sure. So uh, when uh, the Roe uh, decision came out, there was a trigger law that went into effect in Arkansas, um, definitely among the strictest in the country, if not the strictest, um, signed into uh, effect by Leslie Rutledge that uh, outlaws abortion in Arkansas uh for any reason, save except to, to save the life of the mother, um, and just to, for people that might not be familiar with the with the idea of a trigger law, can you explain sure. sort of what that is? So a trigger law is um, something that is on the books, uh, awaiting something else. So as long as you know there was a federal right enshrined to um, for women's access to abortion care, um, Arkansas could not really outlaw it altogether. Um, but once the Roe decision came down, um, Arkansas was was had it on the books ready to go. Um, mm-hmm. it, you know, lawmakers didn't have to come back together and vote on anything. They they'd been waiting for this for years. This required the attorney general at the time to. Yep, sort all of she had sign, to do was yeah. sign it. Uh huh. And and she did that. Um, and so now in Arkansas, um, if a woman wants or needs an abortion um, and is not at death's door, she will have to travel um, elsewhere for that. Or, I mean, potentially, you know, we've heard about people ordering um, mm-hmm. medication through the mail. Absolutely. So, though that is, I mean, that is sort of, that is skirting the boundaries of the law itself. Right, right. Um, that you you absolutely can um, order um, medical um abortion uh pills on online and um there there are ways to do it but um women in arkansas are very limited yeah and and i I believe you've 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 written a little bit about how how the attorney general now tim griffin has joined other attorneys general from other 
red states to sort of right you know yes um there was an a concerning uh letter that i think i believe griffin joined with with attorney general from i believe 18 other states um to oppose a change to a federal rule um currently if if an arkansan um leaves the state to obtain reproductive health care any kind of health care um it's possible um, that um, the state could collect information regarding that. Mm-hmm. Um, the federal law, would, uh, the federal rule change would, would put that off the table and basically protect medical privacy um, across state borders. Uh, and interestingly, um, Arkansas's attorney general joined with other Republican attorney general to oppose that. They, yeah. they um, are, are against that medical privacy. Yeah, so I mean, you know, we are what like eighteen months out from the Dobbs decision, and so it seems like I mean, obviously that changed everything all over the place around sort of the rules around around abortion, and and it feels like I mean, conservative policymakers in places like Arkansas are still kind of feeling out like what are you know how, what are the ways in which we can restrict you know the these you know perhaps extra legal ways of, of accessing abortion medication or, or, you know, or women or restrict the rights of women to go out of state to, to seek an abortion. Yeah. And you hear about in, in Texas, you know, there were, there are, um, counties that are wanting to restrict the use of their roadways. Uh, they can't, our roads can't be used hmm. to access abortion care. Um, you know, in Arkansas, certainly we have counties that are pro-life counties. Um, so yeah, it's a, hmm. it's a very conservative pro-life state. And also, I mean, and we're we're wandering afield from the amendment itself, though I feel like mm-hmm. this is an important sort of important to, to lay out where things stand now. Mm-hmm. With with the the only existing exemption, the only sort of route to get an abortion in Arkansas right now to preserve the life of the mother, you know, th- there's been some some interesting reporting about how, I mean, that itself is is a is a difficult thing to define. You know, right? You would think it would be clear cut. Okay, you can get an abortion if it will save your life. But, you know, um, what what happens is doctors are nervous because they're on the hook. They could, you know, they could get in trouble with the law. They could be fined $10,000. And hospital systems are nervous, Hospital too. systems could absolutely could be sued. So what turns out, um, you know, here's a life and death situation that a doctor should be making. Um, turns out to that you can't make that decision while, without the hospital attorney getting involved. And... Um, you know, adding that um, step into the mix when when a, a life or lives are at stake, that um, um, that that you know sets us up for some really ethically horrific um, conundrums. So it's it's not as cut and dried. Like you know, if a woman is maybe bleeding to death, do we have to wait till she's on death's door uh, before we can provide abortion care that's needed? Um, it's, it's just not as, as simple as as it might seem. Um, and it seems to, um, kind of force women to suffer a lot more than they need to. We have to, we have to let women suffer until they're on death's door before we can provide this, you know, clinically approved, um, care that they need to to survive. So it, it just, um, yeah, we're in a, a fix. So okay, so 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 all that being said, uh, tell us what this mm-hmm. proposal would do, and right. and um, who's behind it? Okay, so right, so um, right now, um, Attorney General Tim Griffin's office um, 
has turned down the first stab, but um, the group is coming back with a proposal that would allow abortion access up to 18 weeks after conception. Um, It would also allow abortion in the cases of fatal fetal anomalies. That's when um, the fetus is is going to die, cannot survive. Um, also in cases of rape and incest. Which currently there is no exemption Correct. under um, the law. It, it's very interesting. There is specifically uh, not um, not an exception for that. And um, I know that in his race for attorney general, um, Tim Griffin himself even mentioned on the campaign trail that he supported abortion right. access for, for that um, for rape and incest. So in um, Asa Hutchinson, who was the governor at the time, our trigger law went to effect, had also indicated that he ha- he was open to to that exception. But Arkansas um, has such a, a conservative atmosphere that um, even those exceptions were not allowed. Yeah. I mean, interesting that, I mean, for such a long time, for 50 years, you know, it just was every, every conservative was sort of just blanket pro-life and and they didn't have to sort of talk about where they would draw the lines when, when it comes to abortion they could just say we oppose roe and that and that was that but then yeah i mean even even very ardently anti-abortion politicians i mean some of them are you know like at, at least admit that <laughs> rape and incest that surely there should be an exception there but not in arkansas yeah you know um and what's interesting though and a, a bit disheartening is we saw during the recent legislative session um nicole Clowney in fayetteville um proposed a bill that would allow abortion access in cases of fatal fetal anomaly Be, you know pregnancy is is risky and um you know, carrying to term a pregnancy where the fetus is certainly going to die, maybe suffer first and die is is just, a, you know, it's mentally a, a tough prospect um, and also physically a, a tough prospect. Um, so her bill would would make um, abortions accessible for women who chose to, to not carry those pregnancies to term. And that did not did not make it anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um and um, Representative Ashley Hudson um, put forth a bill that would allow abortion access in cases of, of rape and incest for minors, um, which seems like something maybe we could all get behind, but it turns out that, that, that we couldn't. Right, right. So, um, and I, I think one other thing we should, we should mention about the, the proposed amendment, at least the one that was, the version that was rejected. So, we outlined uh, up to 18 weeks after conception uh, in cases of fetal, fetal anomaly, that is after 18 weeks, you know, or, or rape and incest. And then I think there's also a provision to protect not only the life of the mother, but also the health of yes, the mother. Yes, yes. Um, and so it was interesting to, to read on Tuesday um, the letter that came out of Tim Griffin's office um, rejecting the the first attempt at this uh, ballot title and summary. Um, and he seemed to want more clarification on some of those things you just mentioned. Mm. Uh, what does that mean, the health of the mother? He wanted to know mentally, physically, um, wanted um, some specific parameters there. Um, he seemed to, he took issue with, I think, the 18 weeks after conception um, at, because that would be uh, different than the gestational age. I think at that point it would be 20 weeks. Um, so, the, you know, his, um, his letter was um, 
you know, he's not allowed to to oppose anything on a political ground. Um, but you know, he was seeking more clarification and 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 the rewording. So kind of make, send them back to the drawing board. Got it. Yeah, which 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 I think came as a surprise to nobody. I mean, right? Oh, I totally. Mean, one thing, you know, I don't I don't know if we yeah. So, you know, we have air quotes around. Um, he's not allowed to <laughs> to make political rejections, but. I mean, even 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 that aside, so even the, the the politics aside, like it's it's it sort of is not unusual for an attorney general to 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 swat away the first try on one of these. Has he ever yeah. ha, has an attorney general ever approved one on the first try? I think that would be the exception. That would be the interesting one. So, so all right, so 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 what happens next? I mean, they're going to come back and and try mm-hmm. again, and probably you know maybe they'll try. You know, repeatedly, sure. if, if it keeps getting rejected. So assuming that eventually something comes along, mm-hmm. which Griffin does sign off on, then what, what comes next for organizers? So then organizers um, will go into signature collection mode. Um, I, I believe it's, it's a little bit more than 90,000 so. signatures of registered voters that would need to be collected from voters in 50 of Arkansas's 75 states, at least. So Counties, yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's a, it's a really, um, big project logistically, um, it's expected to cost a couple million dollars. So the group is already trying to raise some money for that. Um, and if they are able to get the signatures, then they could, um, get on the ballot and then they would, you know, launch into campaigning for, for their cause, which is, which is another, um, financially intense proposition yeah so that would be on the ballot in 2024 that would yes and i mean the biggest question is i mean could it possibly pass in a state like arkansas that's voted the way that it has so frequently in in recent elections i mean we just saw um some rust belt voters in ohio um Mm you know, support abortion access. Uh, we've seen other states um, where abortion is, uh, you know, a, a fundamental issue um, in elections have have sided with candidates um, who, you know, are allowing access to this health care that women right. need. So I think it just really remains to be seen. Yeah. It's really, 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 I mean, aside from, you know, the, the human, just the human question i mean like how important the issue is it's just i mean a very interesting political question i think like in that it's it's um i mean we haven't really seen this play out in a southern state so far um i think i mean well there's there's a kentucky election i mean recently in which Mm -hmm. a democratic governor won campaigned largely on on abortion Mm -hmm. and and on you know saying that 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 state's ban was too draconian Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, there's, there's kind of stuff for people on both sides of the issue to point to and be like, well, this is, we have a good shot at, at this. Um, at the, you know, there's also opinion polls that show the, I mean, the Arkansas electorate just is conservative and, and, and how, you know, what will they go for? I don't know. It's, it, it remains I don't know. to be seen. Um, it, I, I, I don't know, but, um, I, I hope that, um, regardless, I hope that voters get to decide. All right, we'll leave it there. We'll continue to follow that, of course. Finally today, Benjamin Hardy and Matt Campbell discuss the new ballot initiative that would enshrine FOIA laws into the Arkansas state constitution. So abortion is not the only thing that could be on the ballot in 2024 in, in terms of, of proposed constitutional amendments and, and uh, ballot measures. 
there's a, a number of other proposals out there, and we are a long ways away from November 2024. But one of the ones that's gotten the most buzz and attention has been a proposal to enshrine the state's Freedom of Information Act in the Arkansas Constitution. Um, so the state's Freedom of Information Act, I, th I think, is widely seen as one of the, the better such laws in the country um, because it, it, it does allow for, for wide-ranging access to public records and, and sets a, a strict timetable for production of those records. It may not always be the case that um, custodians of records are producing them according to the law, but, but at least the law says you know, this, uh, public entities have to produce records fairly, fairly quickly. Um, but then, notoriously, in September, Governor Sarah Sanders called a special session, which had a few items on the agenda, and front and center was a proposal to water down the, the state FOIA in, in very dramatic ways that could sort of potentially shield uh, most, not all, state records from, from scrutiny. Uh, that, that more ambitious proposal of hers failed in the legislature, but uh, a narrower measure did pass that, that that created some exemptions around security, so-called, that uh, transparency advocates still think are, are, are pretty bad. And it, it had the unwanted effect of uh, unifying this sort of surprising coalition of, of advocates on both the right and the left who, who do not like the idea of, uh, of weakening the, the Freedom of Information Act. So um, I'm here talking with Matt Campbell, who is um, a, a uh, a FOIA lawyer uh, <laughs> that who has had some success at shaking loose records. Uh, I think I think it's Every safe to say. Yeah. <laughs> so, so can, can you tell us a little bit about um, what this proposed amendment does? It's just been submitted to the to Attorney General. Is that right? Like yeah. Just, just for, recently? To uh, have the name, the the popular name of the the ballot approved, and then they can start collecting signatures after there after after they get it approved. After the, the Attorney General signs yeah. off on it. Yeah. If he doesn't have problems with it. So, 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 what would this do? Like, how would this be different than, than what we have right now um, in the in statute? I mean, the big picture. Um, I guess the the most obvious changes would be it would take the FOIA back to kind of where it was before the special session. Uh, there would still be a safety exemption in there, but it would only shield the record for I believe thirty days. Um, you know, travel records and stuff. Uh, yeah. The the state police plane use that kind of thing. And after thirty days. Uh, the state would bear the burden of proving if there was any sort of additional security need to keep something secret. Remind us exactly what that exemption was that was added this September. So the they proposed, as it, you know, when they revised the, the broad bill during the special session, they tried to narrow it, and they said it was just about the safety of... First, they said it was just about the safety of the governor and her family. Uh, ultimately, what they wound up passing is a bill that shields pretty much any records at the state level related to um, any kind of security services that the state police provide to any of the constitutional officers. Mm. Uh, and there is no sort of expiration on that security provision. So whether it was travel on a state police plane, you know, a year ago or uh, a week ago, they're both similarly shielded and it's not information that somebody can get uh, all under sort of the guise of safety. Yeah. So this new proposal would put a 30-day sort of window on any of those records. After 30 days, they would be presumed to be public uh, like they used to be in the past. And if there was some specific record that needed to be kept hidden longer, uh, the state would have the burden of like, uh, convincing a judge that the record needed to be kept hidden longer. Got it. So they would undo that. 
Um, it would also waive sovereign immunity. Uh, as it currently stands, a person can sue the state to get records under FOIA, but they can't get attorney's fees on the back end if they win, which functionally kind of means that very rarely does anybody sue the state for records because uh, you, you can't get an attorney generally to do it for free, and most people don't want to pay what it would cost out of pocket to get an attorney to do it. Yeah. And if there's no attorney's fees at the end of it for an attorney to kind of bank on, they just don't take up these cases very often unless it's sort of a big like pro bono issue where like yeah. specific, but those are rare. Uh, so this would waive sovereign immunity expressly, would allow for attorney's fees against the state, which should, in theory, kind of force the state to be a little more transparent. Uh, it would also do away with you know, this argument that Justice Womack keeps bringing up in some of these appeals where he just keeps saying, like, well, I would dismiss this appeal entirely because I don't think you can sue the state under the FOIA. Got it. Based this, on sovereign immunity. This is uh, Arkansas Supreme Court justice. Yes, You're yes. saying that, yeah. Yeah, so it would do that, um, and then it would make it so that the legislature couldn't subsequently add exemptions to the FOIA or anything like that. Uh, any changes to it going forward have to be submitted to the people for popular vote, any new exemptions that were put in. Yeah, so, I mean, that that seems like, I mean, maybe the, the bigger biggest picture, that's sort of like the the most attractive thing, I think, to a lot of, a lot of transparency advocates is just like, I mean, you don't know what the legislature is going to do in the future. Um, I don't think before this special session um, in September that a lot of people were seeing this on, on the immediate horizon, you know. Um, I mean, in recent years, there's been various, you know, sort of chipping away at the FOIA here and there. There's been like that Capitol Police exemption, for example, that was just kind of like, I mean, I know from experience on like trying to FOIA Capitol Police records, they're just all shielded now. You yeah, know? they just called yeah. part of the security plan and just yeah. stopped. So, so, so that's that. You know, that's been the case. But like, yeah, I mean, I don't. This was not on on people's radar until like suddenly. I mean, well, you were because of you poking around. You know, that that resulted in in the governor and the, and the legislature allies in the legislature trying to make these major changes to transparency law. And and, and there's there's a sense among among people that, that don't want that to happen that it should not be in the hands of the legislature, right? Right. And I think I mean the legislature and the governor kind of tipped their hand and as to how. They viewed the FOIA uh, with, with their initial proposal in the special session. That was just, you know, she called it saying that it was a. The governor called the special session saying it was about security, and then the first bill they put forward just basically gutted FOIA across the board at the state level. Um, and I think a lot of people, myself included, got the sense that, you know, if they can't do it this time, uh, you know, with election you know, filing period coming up as it was and everything that I think a lot of people assume that they will try next time around to, uh, you know, in the next session yeah. to get some of these exemptions through. Um, and, you know, and on the face of it, the idea of putting future changes to the to the public to vote on sounds great. Functionally, I don't know how well, to, like, it's going to create a weird situation where, like, all of a sudden somebody realizes some records probably should be exempt, mm. but since the legislature can't do it, you're they're going to have to wait until a session roll or call a special session, but then all they can do out of a special session would be propose one for the next regularly scheduled election for people right. to vote on. That's kind of unwieldy, and yeah. it could <laughs> cause problems, but they brought it on themselves. Yeah, right. You know, when you tell everybody, like, we're going to gut this thing, we don't care what you think, we're going to do whatever the governor wants, people are going to tend to overreact to that. And maybe, this, and maybe that's something that needs to be tweaked now or in the future, but I think when the alternatives are... Well, let's just see what they do to it in the next session. 
I'll deal with kind of an unwieldy, let the people vote on it before I you know, trust a lot of them that are over there just doing whatever the governor wants them to. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And, and, I, and I see your point. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is like, I mean, it's who knows what, what sort of, there's, there's, there's valid reasons why you want exemptions to the FOIA yeah. in, in many ways. One thing that came up, I mean, this is sort of random, like this came up in a story I was editing earlier this year. You know, there's an archaeological exemption in in the yeah. FOIA that's like basically about grave robbing. You know, so it's it's yeah. like like state archaeological records are not supposed to be publicly disclosed because you, you don't want um, somebody like plundering sort of you know antiquities from like um, the like I don't know some his, like uh, historical site. Yeah, and I think it's going to create this weird situation as well uh, where remember when they decided they were going to exempt the um, uh, concealed carry permit, right. whoever had those, because that list used to be public. And there was this sort of gap of a few weeks before the legislature was able to get that introduced and pass it passed in, norm, in regular session. And in that two weeks, a lot of people, uh, like media outlets and stuff, sent in FOIA requests and got the list as it existed then. And I think you, if you're putting changes to the FOIA to the vote, and to, of the people that's going to be like nine or six or nine months off in the future. Yeah. Like the window you create for, if you're the legislature, where you put a spotlight on these records you don't want people to have and then give them six months of people to go digging in those records. Like it's kind of a double-edged sword for them to even try to propose exemptions. And like to that end, I think it, it works out well. Like they're not going to want to call attention to some things. Sure. So I guess it cuts both ways. And um, I, I, I want to emphasize again here kind of, how unusual the coalition behind this group is. You know, we've got like David Couch, who's sort of seen as the, you know, master, um, the mastermind of, of the state ballot initiative process. Yeah. Um, and I mean, Couch is a liberal. You've got Senator Clark Tucker, a Democrat from Little Rock. You've also got uh, former legislator Nate Bell, who is a Republican turned independent, but very libertarian minded. Yeah. And then you've got some like straight up conservatives like like uh, Rob Steinbuck from from uh, the law professor. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's that sort of, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a real mix. I mean, including some people that might be predisposed to support the governor in, in, mm -hmm. in, other, in other ways. Um, and um, I guess one last thing, there's, there's, there's sort of un, this unusual structure here where there's both a constitutional amendment and this, this, this initiated act that's like a change to statute that would be passed. And sort of, so the group's putting forward two proposals at the same time. What is the, the reasoning behind that? Uh, it's sort of procedural and some kind of preemptive, uh, I guess, protecting it from maybe being removed from the ballot, uh, doing it. The exemptions to the FOIA are all statutory in nature, so they all mm -hmm. appear in the Arkansas Code either in the FOIA statute or in other parts of the code, and they just get looped in with kind of a catch-all provision. Um, there's some concern that... If you go putting all these statutory, like specific statutory citations in a constitutional amendment, that if the, those statute, the numbering changes in the future or if things get moved around, all of a sudden you've got uh -huh. an, an amendment that is now referring to things that don't exist or aren't where they were. So it becomes a little hinky that way. There was a case that somebody pointed to out of oh, somewhere in the upper North mid. North Dakota, I believe. Yes, yeah, yeah I think that's right, where um, – a similar provision got re or a similar amendment got removed uh, for the same reason. Like it, the stat the citations in it made it where like 
as soon as anything changed, it just wasn't going to be functional. So doing it this way, they enshrine in the constitutional amendment the right to have access to the records, some of the big picture stuff, and then the initiated act uh, specific, specifies the exemptions and does it that way. Um, I think it winds up working out cleaner, assuming both parts pass. I, yeah. I guess it gets a little weird if one passes and one doesn't. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how – I haven't looked close enough to see if there's any language that requires both of them to pass before either one becomes operative, but got it. that could be a little weird. All right. Well, we, we will wait and see what the Attorney General does and then um, where we go from there. That's the show for today. Thanks for listening to the Arkansas Times Week in Review podcast.